1: corn futures are barely hanging on soybeans slightly higher Oh, nope slightly lower winter wheat under let's see moderate pressure yikes the new year market malaise continues hey let's occupy ourselves with the view on land the weather maybe even politics live con el lobo solo via farm journal broadcasto. this is agritalk this morning we'll begin with a conversation with paul shadegg from farmers national company then it's brett waltz from bam wx later pro farmer policy og jim wiesmeyer drops by for some caucus talk and directly following the news karen bonert from farm journals milk i'm a handsome newsman davis michelson Yes, welcome to AgriTalk, everyone, on this uh, Tuesday that feels like a Monday, that wants to be a Tuesday, and wishes it was a Friday. Your pal, Davis Michelson, here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk in Chip's stead. He will be back tomorrow morning. Hey, how about don't worry about it? He'll be back in the morning. That's all you need to know. He'll, he'll be fine. Everything's okay. Um, tomorrow morning, the uh, farmer forum will proceed. We got Senator Chuck Grassley. We got also, th- this is fine in the meantime we're uh, we're going to concern ourselves with other things there's a new report out from farmers national company um looking back over the last 6 months how did their biz do uh, well, what did they learn about the land market and then it looks forward into 2024 you know we're at that that time of the year when when all of the uh, the outlooks seem to include oh the rest of the year what are we looking forward to here as we move into 2024 i mean we're 16 days deep in this year folks there's a long way to go yet before we know exactly what's going to happen paul Shadeg from farmers national company is going to uh, enlighten us with his thoughts on farmers nationals thoughts um on what they're expecting in the land market moving ahead into the new year and then it's weather weather whether you like it or not we're going to talk with uh, we're going to talk with Brett Waltz and I notice here in the city of fountains which they turn the city they they turn the fountains off this time of year because I don't think ice makes uh, very good fountains I don't know there's physics there that I don't necessarily understand but here in Kansas City we're at we're at 2 degrees we're headed for a for a high of a balmy 13 today finally we creep out from the below zero number, and uh, doggone it, it feels good to be here. Uh, but we'll talk with Brett Waltz um, as we're talking outlook in the land market. Let's also talk outlook um, near term and in the longer term. Um, I mean, is it too soon to talk to Brett Waltz from BAMAAX about spring planting weather? I don't know. Jim Wiesmeyer drops by in the fourth seg uh, for a little talk about politics. We have the caucuses. I don't know what it means. I don't understand the caucuses or anything, but Jim does. And I actually have a few questions uh, from some listeners here uh, who were uh, good enough to send me a couple of questions ahead of the show. Johnny on the spot this morning. And then, of course, Karen Bonert, if we can get to it. <laughs> I need to get going here. Private exporters reported sales of 126,700 metric tons of corn for delivery to Mexico during the 23-24 marketing year. Feels like an opportunity buy there by a traditional buyer. In November, U.S. pork exports reached new records in key markets driven by outstanding performances in Mexico, Central America, and in Colombia, again with the the, uh, traditional buyers there. And with that, we'll turn to the National Weather Service short-term outlook. Snow continues across the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. Additional freezing rain and elevation snowfall expected over the Pacific Northwest. Brief reprieve from the brutal cold after this morning. Although another Arctic blast expected late this week. We're going to talk with uh we're going to talk with Brett about that and find out who's responsible in the Iowa Republican caucuses. Former President Donald Trump secured a significant victory, solidifying his frontrunner status in the GOP primary for the 2024 presidential nomination. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, who finished fourth in the Iowa caucuses, decided to suspend his campaign and, was immediately endor- and has immediately endorsed former President Trump. Uh, we'll get more from Wiesmeyer at the end of the show this morning. Two-year Treasury yields tumbled to their lowest levels since May, dropping 24 basis points for the week as an unexpected decline in producer prices reversed trader pessimism from a surprise bounce in consumer prices. Congressional leaders want to vote this week on a stopgap funding bill that will provide spending authority extensions beyond previous deadlines. One part of the government's funding, including for USDA, would be extended until March 1st, while the remaining portion would receive an extension until March 8th. The agreement comes just before the first funding deadline of January 19th. Yada, yada, yada. Funding, funding, funding. Whatever. An anti-ship ballistic missile fired by Houthi fighters struck the Gibraltar Eagle a U.S.-owned cargo vessel off the coast of Yemen yesterday. The ship and its crew, which had been headed toward the Suez Canal, were not seriously harmed, according to the U.S. military. The Pentagon's inspector general revealed that the Defense Department has not adequately tracked more than $1 billion worth of sensitive military equipment provided to Ukraine. This equipment includes shoulder-fired missiles, night vision goggles, one-way attack drones, and other items. The report raises concerns about the U.S.'s ability to prevent the theft or diversion of its weapons. South American crop consultant Dr. Michael Cordonier cut his Brazilian soybean and corn crop estimates amid reports from almost every state in Brazil of lower-than-expected yields on early harvested fields. For Argentina, Cordonier raised his soybean crop forecast and increased his corn production estimate 3 million metric tons. And finally, the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum has started in Davos, Switzerland. The event brings together representatives from 100 governments, major international organizations, and partner companies, along with civil society leaders, experts, youth activists, and social entrepreneurs. We'll have more as the week goes on. But in the meantime, let's turn our attention to Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. Karen, good morning. How are you?
2: Good morning, Davis. I'm good.
1: Excellent, excellent. Talk to me about the truth behind Wisconsin and 455 dairy farms in 23.
2: Yeah, they're exiting and sadly, but you know, Davis, the math is just not adding up. $15 milk's not cutting it. At the start Hmm. of the new year, Wisconsin had just shy of 5,900 dairy farms. And to really put that in perspective, in 2005, they had 15,000, a little more than 15,000 herds. And and a decade later than that, they had 9,900 herds. So the number is obviously dwindling, although the cow numbers, I've kind of held study about 1.2 million. I was able to catch up with Chad Vincent, who's the CEO of Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, and he, he told me a little information that I thought was very interesting. In March of 2020, just a tick ahead of COVID, they sent out a farm survey to the Wisconsin dairy farmers and to ask them, hey, what's your future plans? Are you planning on staying in the business? Do you have a succession plan in place? And at that time, 17% of all dairy farms in the state said that, that within five years, they would be not milking cows anymore. And, um, and that 22% of all the dairies under a hundred head had planned to exit in the next five years. So really in the next three to or three to five years, he thinks, and and I would agree that, um, you know, we're just going to continue to sadly see this trend continuing, uh, 65% of those, uh, primary decision makers, Davis on the farm were over 50 years old and, uh, 15% were over 65.
1: Wow. Wow. Um, Karen, we should definitely talk about this. This is this is concerning here. There's no, no succession plans. The young don't want to take over the operation or is it just not profitable enough? You know what? We don't have time to answer that question. Where can we get more on this, Karen?
2: Yeah. Dairyherd.com. It's a combination of factors, Davis.
1: Yep. Dairyherd.com for more on that. Karen, thanks so much. Uh, Hey, have a great week.
2: You too. Thanks, Davis.
1: All right. We are underway here on AgriTalk. Let's see. We got Paul Shadeg from Farmers National coming up next. New report out. 2024 brings resilient ag land market. We'll see what Paul Sheteg makes of it here next on AgriTalk. Thanks so much for choosing for choosing to spend some time with us, AgriTalk.
3: Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena.
1: We've got Pearls of Wisdom on Agritalk. Alright, well, it's unfair for the song to be playing now. Uh, your pal, Davis Michelson here. You know what? Here's the thing. I'm a little spacey today, Planet Earth. I gotta be honest with you. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull the veil back just slightly here. I work from home, so don't worry, none of you are in danger, and I think I'm past it. But my lovely wife. Tested positive for COVID just yesterday. Um, we're a little, we're a little sick around here. Bless her heart, she's much sicker than I am. But I, I do bring it up because the symptoms are just a little bit different. I think I had it like two weeks ago, but it acted more like a flu thing than, than like a respiratory thing for me. There's like, well, I'm not gonna use these words on the air, but you know what I mean. It's like that. There was a shift, and I didn't recognize it as COVID. I thought I just had like standard flu or something. Now she's got the same thing. She tests positive for COVID. So it's out there, folks. Um, Just be careful. Let's remember to wash our hands. Let's be careful. Cough into your elbow. Do the vampire cough, that whole thing again, and try to keep yourselves well. Take some vitamins, whatever you need to do. All right. Having said that, public service announcement ended. Paul Shadeg, Farmer's National Company. Paul, thank you so much for joining us this morning. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Davis. Uh, Good to
0: hear your voice. But um, I'm glad we're through the airwaves because I don't want COVID.
1: No, you certainly do not. No, I don't think anybody does. And it's, it's still around there. And I thought I'd bring it up just because, you know, every once in a while, you got to just a little reminder, let's not get complacent with the COVID. Hey, man, um, how, uh, how was the holiday season? Do you now as a, as a land guy, do you sort of expect this to be a quiet time of year, right around the first of the year?
0: You know, we go through the, the end of the year is typically pretty busy because people are making some last minute selling some last minute buying decisions. And, you know, the, the, we're trying to accommodate either buyers or sellers to uh, to get something done before year end. So it's a mad rush to the end of the year. And then somewhat a kind of a resetting uh, as we get into the first of the year, but, but we also uh, finished the year extremely strong as a company. And then, the pipeline is full in uh, in January and going into February, so it's it hasn't been much of a lull, if any.
1: Okay, well, and the reason we we brought you aboard today, we want to look into twenty twenty four. We want to talk about how your your company has performed over the the previous six months and your expectations here. You do have a new report uh, called brings twenty twenty four brings resilient ag land market. I'm just going to read a little blurb here. Despite increasing pressure from declining commodity markets, rising interest rates and inflation. The land market seems to be moving into 2024, maintaining the value increases it has built during the past three years. You mentioned that pipeline being fairly full. Paul, talk to us about the supply demand scenario moving into 2024, please.
0: Yeah, it's just uh, what one thing, that's probably the biggest factor that, that is uh, in play to, to keep those values uh, maintained at the level that we've set over the the past few years, where we've seen record increases in value, and you know that we start asking questions, why is that, and who are the buyers, and and what's motivating them, and you know the we're definitely seeing some cash uh, positions in the country start to dwindle a little bit, and that has that's paid, played a big part in how uh, the buyers pay for the premium values that they've got out there because they may and and the, the other factor is that lending is increasing and so if they're borrowing against that land the the banks or financial institutions are only going to loan X amount and then anything that you pay above that you better have some cash or some equity to leverage and uh, we're still seeing that happen
1: that that comfortable cash position that we've been talking about that has sort of, I don't know what you would call it. It's almost like the the goose down in the sleeping bag, you know? It just makes you feel a little more comfortable, a little more um a, a little more able to go out and and bid perhaps aggressively. Talk to us about where that cash came from and maybe why we can't replace it very quickly, Paul.
0: Well, a lot of the cash came from when we saw commodity markets uh rise so fast and uh and and be at though the commodity markets were also experiencing some some record levels, and the other side of it, I attribute to you know very well educated, smart uh, buyers out in the market. Which, when we talk about buyers, we're talking about farmer producers who you know they've had a conservative approach that when they had some great yields and that they uh, were able to sell at some record values they took a lot of that cash and stuck it away, Uh, call it the rainy day fund or, uh, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, a lot of them been through some tough times and they realize that sooner or later, you're going to need some of that cash. And then when the opportunity to buy land pops up, they've got the the capital to, uh, to apply towards it.
1: Absolutely. Um, So when we, when we talk about who are these buyers, I think I saw a number with an eight on it. Uh, about 80% still uh op- farmer operators is that right
0: yeah and and, and those are our company numbers or are, mm-hmm. are right at 80% um at, you know it'll vary sometimes just a little bit below that but when we look at the industry as a whole uh we're we're still in the 70s as you know those are the successful buyers of land now they are absolutely being pushed along by an investor type, the funds, uh, whoever else that you know, non-typical type buyer would be, and and then we have to think, you know, what's their motivation? And there's some other investment vehicles that that maybe could produce a return similar to what farmland does. But when they look at that long-term appreciation in land value, there's a lot of uh, the investors that have realized that you know that that's a good place to to put your money and divest a portfolio. And, uh, so it, it, uh, it definitely, uh, is, they're definitely going to push those, uh, local farmer operators. But, uh, but right now the, the farmer operators are still the, the number one successful buyer in Mm. most transactions. Mm
1: -hmm. When we, when we talk about the current value of these, of these land assets, um, it's difficult to find a better investment outside of the land market, of course, but um, given interest rates, given some uncertainty ongoing at the Fed here, there are some who are actually opting to retain ownership. In some ways, hands are tightening around some certain pieces of land, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they, they certainly are. They feel that that is somewhat of a safe haven that they, they feel like the, the ownership of land, when they look back in history and if they're able to get a return on it year over year, uh, even though that might not uh, equal what a certain stock might be, mm-hmm. when they look at the long-term appreciation, and I used to use this analogy with uh, individuals that were new to the land market you know, 25 years ago, they said, well, what what is this gonna be worth? Will, this, will my investment in this land ever go to zero? And I said, I'm pretty confident it will never go to zero and if it does, at least you can go out and still kick it, you know, yeah, where right. if you had a stock, it's just vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: That's excellent. Excellent. Um, so let's let's do look into 2024. You said the pipeline's been filling up both land auctions and listings. Um, pretty typical volume to start the new year here. Um, but what do you do? What's your focus moving into 2024 here, Paul?
0: You know, we we definitely want to to help. Uh, whether they're a buyer or a seller that we're working with, we want them to have realistic expectations on what's that land going to cost and what that what's that land going to bring. And while we have traditionally, especially when we get into Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, eastern Nebraska areas like that, auctions have been traditionally the way that land is transacted. And there are some that we need to to maybe have them step back and say, you know, this is this might be one. If you have a piece of land that maybe has a couple issues, or they're they're expecting a record value that maybe isn't going to happen if we bring it to auction, that let's list it. And that gives us the opportunity to negotiate with, with multiple buyers and, and reach the goal. And so that's that's a big part of, of what I see coming. We're probably gonna see fewer auctions and, and more listings just because of that. But when you have a high-quality piece of ground and you know that the the demand in that area, or there's going to be competitive demand in those areas, that auction is still the best way to determine hmm. that true market value because yeah. it's exposed and the the bidders place their bids based on what they think that should bring in that day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Paul, the uh, the land market does tend to move quite a bit more slowly than you know, for example, equities or, or something like that, and so it takes a a more calculated approach here. I did want to talk about some of your five-year company stats, but I don't know if we're going to have time here. Uh, Before we run out of time, how can a buyer or a seller get more information from Farmers National, Paul?
0: You know, they can always find us at farmersnational.com and find either the corporate person they'd like to talk to or the, the individual regional person they'd like to talk to.
1: Uh, Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company. Dude, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning, for get, helping us get our, our hands around what's what's coming up in the land market. Have a great day, buddy.
0: Thanks, Davis. You too.
1: That was Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company. When we come back, we're going to talk with Brett Waltz about the weather. We're going to figure out how long this cold snap is going to hang around. I'm hoping it's on its way out today, but we'll find out.
3: We talk. So, time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer.
1: And joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady, Brian, big reports last week put some hefty pressure on the markets and we're seeing uh the corn and the soybeans just sort of dribble lower this morning
6: yeah there just wasn't much uh, bullish news in the report data from last friday davis as, as you mentioned and, and it weighed on markets uh corn futures uh trading to the downside uh, wheat futures actually leading us down with uh, double digit losses there in the winter wheat markets and, and spring wheat uh, a little bit lesser losses but uh, uh just a negative tone there um reflective back to the the report data but also the outside markets are highly negative here US dollar index is up almost 750 points. The stock market's under some pretty heavy pressure. Uh, crude oil, it's weaker. And, and so there's a lot coming at the, uh, the grain markets this morning in a negative fashion. And, and we're seeing that play out in corn and wheat. Uh, soybeans, they've, they've traded both sides of unchanged and relatively directionless, to be honest with you. Um, soy oil's trading to the downside, soy meal trading to the upside. And, and so soybeans are kind of caught in the middle of that action.
1: I'm looking over at the fat cattle. They're they're kind of falling apart on us here, Brian.
6: Yeah, so they started out with a firmer tone this morning, Davis, and and, uh, just kind of Seeing that buyer interest erode here at midday, I don't think it's anything too alarming, to be honest with you. Um, just can't uh, sustain the buyer interest. And in all likelihood, we're in for a long wait for cash cattle trade. We have the cattle on feed report coming up on Friday afternoon. There's some uncertainty still with the weather, obviously. Uh, the extreme cold temps are still, still hanging around. It's gradually going to warm up, but I, I think that uh, it will be a long wait for cash cattle trade to develop feeders uh because of the weakness in the corn market they're favoring the upside at the moment and then hog futures uh are under some pressure
3: here at mid-morning
1: that's pro farmer editor brian grady on markets now
3: go on the offensive against weeds with antares complete from helena
1: Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We don't make the news. We render it. Agritalk. Boy, howdy. Things are getting exciting now. We're up an entire degree here in Kansas City. We're at an even three degrees Fahrenheit here. Your pal Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Chip will be back tomorrow morning. Don't worry about it. In the meantime, let's talk with Brett Waltz from BAM WEX. Brett, we missed you yesterday because of the holiday. (laughs) We're super glad that you're willing to take some time with us today. Let's have a little extended chat about the weather, shall we? What say?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you all having me on, and it's certainly uh whether that is worth talking about in terms of this crazy cold shot that we've been getting record-breaking cold all across the central u.s the past couple days
1: yeah man it's been it's been rough um it feels like maybe we're kind of at the nearing the end of this little cold snap here is that the case or is this just sort of hope Misplaced. This is the
7: Yeah, this is the worst of it. So the worst of it is, is getting past really after today. But I will say there, there's a reinforcing shot of some cold that's going to come back around as we see a storm system move through the Ohio Valley Friday. Uh, behind that into Saturday morning, it's another really cold morning, dangerous cold again, I would say, Saturday morning. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if some lows got back down into the negative teens across Oof. parts of Iowa. Eastern Nebraska, South Dakota. So it's not quite over yet. I do think some of the worst of it, kind of the combination of the cold and the wind is past though.
1: So when you talk about a potential return below uh, zero into the double digits below, can you throw a fence around that area? What what specific area are you talking about where we need to watch out for that?
7: Yeah, we're looking specifically at really the ent- entirety of the Dakotas, Minnesota, the Eastern half of Nebraska, the entirety of Iowa. Uh, and then even down into parts uh, of northern Missouri and far western portions of Illinois. That That's kind of the area that's going to take the brunt of it as we work into this weekend.
1: But um, cold temperatures just on their own, I think I heard you say not a whole lot of concern about wind or precipitation to accompany this particular little cold spate.
7: Yeah, the the wind, certainly, I mean, last week's system was an anomaly just in terms of the wind field that was with it. It it was a combination of really a really strong low-pressure system, and then with that, you get the wind, and so uh, it's not going to be quite as intense with this next front that moves through. Now, I do think that we need to watch for maybe some snow threats. Again, it's not anything to the extent of as what some areas saw last week, but what I would call a a clipper system that kind of originates out of Saskatchewan that's going to work through Thursday and into Friday that could drop some light accumulations across uh, especially western and southern South Dakota Nebraska into the southern half of Iowa and then maybe a better chance of snow in the Ohio Valley, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio Thursday night into Friday.
1: It seems like there's an awful lot of snow out there this year, man.
7: Yeah, you know, I, I it's been you know it, it's a little deceiving though I'd say because December was was quiet. December was, was a pretty quiet month, and it's really ramped up as we've started out out the new year. Um, but I will say there, if you're sick of the cold, you're sick of the snow. There is some hope that I think that as we work into next week, the pattern really starts to get more mild again, above normal temperatures returning.
1: Okay, very good, very good. Um... <sighs> So the severe weather forecast is there's nothing necessarily up uh coming up right now as far as storms go. Let's uh let you know what let's go to South America just a little sure. bit. What's their story down there currently? How do you like their weather setup?
7: Yeah, so there has been some rains over the past couple of weeks into 2024 that has helped. Uh this next seven days, I wouldn't say it is particularly wet, especially in, in Monte Grasso. That's an area that over the next seven days is a little bit drier as a whole. Um, I do think that far eastern Brazil and into northeastern parts of Argentina, that's an area coming up that can see some timely rains. And I'm looking out into the extended range, kind of that that week two time frame, as we work really the last seven to ten days of the month of January. Data right now is rather aggressive with precipitation uh, across central Brazil and that Monte Grasso area again. However, Looking at how things have rolled forward for this upcoming period, we're concerned that maybe data is too aggressive with rains at this distance, uh, that maybe data could roll forward a little bit drier. And so it's not as bad maybe as what it was a month or so ago, but I still wouldn't say that it's consistently good with above normal moisture in that particular region.
1: Drier and perhaps hotter at the same time? Yeah, I,
7: I do think that some of that heat can come back as well. I think that there is the, the potential. And, and again, if I kind of narrow down the area, uh, it's really especially central Brazil and Monte Grosso over the next 10 days that are going to see kind of the core of the heat. Not too warm for Argentina and southeastern Brazil, though. That's an area that gets some rain and it's not terribly hot.
1: Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about sea surface temperatures. A lot of talk about the transition from La Niña to El Niño. I guess I, I don't need to, but I don't have a real good handle on where we are along that continuum right now. Other than, we had been working to make a transition, and now here we've got uh, this this super ultra cold weather. Is this related at all? Is there anything to be, uh, any knowledge to be gained from from this here when when it comes to the Ninos?
7: Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic question. I would say that this cold blast is almost entirely related to what's going on over the pole, which is the polar vortex. We had a split. That happens only every couple of years. It's not super common. And even when it does happen, it doesn't always split those cold pieces of the polar vortex over the United States. It did in this case, which is why we got so cold. But I will say that in El Nino years, like we're dealing with right now, that does happen more frequently. So you can tie that back into maybe the stronger El Nino state a little bit. I think that this El Nino state is really going to have a big factor on what's going to happen into spring and into planting season across the U.S. It's really key. I would say the next two or three weeks, because typically we start to get some weakening of El Nino this time of the year. It kind of slowly starts to wane. If we can see some weakening, that would increase the odds that we go into more of a neutral state as we work into the spring and early summer, which can lead to, especially across the eastern portions of the Ag Belt, some drier threats as we end the planting season and start the growing season. However, if over the next two or three weeks we stay a little bit steadier with our El Nino state, typically those are wetter springs. You think back to a couple of wetter springs, like 2019 is a recent one. That's probably an extreme example, but that was a year that held on to El Nino longer and it was a very wet spring and into early summer. So that's a key thing that we need to watch the next couple of weeks leading up to our planting forecast.
1: How was is, how is the European forecast look over there? We, you know, we saw them it was terrible cold, and then they didn't have enough nat gas to keep everybody warm and all that sort of stuff. What's what's the European winter shaping up like?
7: Yeah, for sure. So they they kind of started out the season similarly with, or, or I was I should say actually a little bit colder than we did because they had that high pressure out there near Greenland, and when that tends to happen, you actually get a little bit colder. We didn't quite get the benefits from that until more recently, and so upcoming that feature is actually going away. So they're going to be A little bit warmer, in fact, some pretty notable warmth as we work over the next two weeks, uh, and especially as we work towards the end of January. But similar to the United States, I I think that there can be a transition back to some colder weather sometime late the first week of February, probably more into the second week of February. We're we're rather lined up over the next several weeks, North America and Europe, in terms of what the impacts are going to be. We're going to be warmer in January in the U.S., going to be warmer in Europe into in january in the u.s and i think a similar transition back to some cooler weather possible as we work into uh, the early to mid part of february
1: one of the big concerns is well two big concerns really and it it goes back to moisture 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 we're worried about Mm -hmm. the big muddy we're worried about the mississippi river i think a little less so than we were at one point Uh, but then of course there's there's the soil moisture that we desperately need to have recharged in certain areas we look at the eastern belt last last uh, growing season you know we had brian grady out there on crop tour saying well this it had a better start because it started out with some subsoil moisture brett uh, moisture onto frozen ground doesn't necessarily help us all that much to recharge our soil moisture um dude can we get the timing right to thaw the soil in just the right time so it'll soak up just the right amount of moisture at just the right time river is, is refilled and everybody's happy. You, is there anything like that in your in your forecast for spring? Yeah, so I, I actually think
7: a little bit of help from that because it's really going to warm up to end January. There could be some melting. It's probably not going to completely melt, but a okay. little bit of melting to end January and some more precipitation. But as we work into late spring, uh, I do think that there's the potential, and I would say especially for the plains, Um, that particular region into March and April, that's an area that I think can be a little bit more active to start out spring and into the plankton season to kind of recharge uh, some of that soil moisture. I I think that's an area that can uh, maybe start out a little bit colder in March, but then quickly transition to a little bit warmer and more active, which can help recharge things. That's an area that I'm a little bit more confident about. Eastern Ag Belt, that's an area that I'm concerned could stay a little bit drier as we start out the planting season this year.
1: Interesting. Um, Before I cut you loose, Brett, where do we get more information from BAMWX?
7: Yeah, head over to uh, bamwx.com. We actually have a little pop-up there. You can get a free sample of our long-range forecast that we put out yesterday discussing the pattern over the next several weeks. And uh, be on the lookout. We'll talk about it here in a few weeks, but uh, our planting season webinar discussing that forecast that we touched on a little bit will be towards the end of February.
1: Oh, that's a good tease, that planting season webinar. Brett, I, I, think, that, I think I was involved in one of those a few years ago. This is a, a really great outlook um, for the for the planting season that BAM puts together every year, uh, you guys do such a fantastic job. Thanks for spending some extra time with us this week, Brett. We really appreciate yeah. you, buddy. Yep, thank you. And we will hear more from uh, from Brett Waltz and the good folks at BAM WEX as we get closer to that uh, that webinar that they've got coming up. Um, on the other side of this break here, I've got his royal gymnast. Jim Wiesmeyer, pro-farmer policy OG, to talk about the caucuses, to talk about the election cycle. Hey, let's talk about funding, too, because we can't just not talk about funding, right? AgriTalk.
3: Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena.
1: Call us at eight five five four 4 talk ag Welcome back to agri everyone. A chilly Tuesday morning, but it's getting warmer. A little warmer all the time. We're up to four degrees now. Kansas City. Hope you're, uh, hope you're inching toward, uh, toward zero and above wherever you may be. Lots of layers, folks. Lots of layers. Let me bring in Jim Wiesmeyer now. Pro Farmer Policy OG. Good morning, Jim. How are you?
8: Good morning, Davis. Well, we have a four here, four inches of snow, and that's uh, that's like uh, 20 or 25 inches in Iowa.
1: Yeah, that's significant there for, for D.C. Wow.
8: Well, they're not going to have any votes in the House as a result. They'll have activity, but uh, we panic on anything more than two inches.
1: They'll have. Wait, so they'll have activity, but not votes? Is that what you said? Yeah, like that the Rules Committee right. will
8: meet. Yeah, the so Rules business Committee, as usual. but they won't vote. Business as usual. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So the Senate's going to
8: vote. The Senate's going to vote today okay. on that uh, uh, continuing resolution package, uh, March 1 for USDA and And other agencies. And March eighth, a continuing resolution uh, for uh, eighty percent of the other uh, other agencies and departments. And now, I think the votes will be there in both chambers.
1: Okay. So in in those votes, what are the odd issues out that may not get some funding there? What what's left to clean up at that point?
8: Oh, well, you still have the border issues and you'll have uh, uh, other uh, other things that are unresolved. But in parallel, uh, Davis, what has not been given a lot of press, I know we've written about it uh, at Pro Farmer, is a bipartisan 70 billion to 78 billion dollar tax package, Mm. uh, tax reform package that would be good for agriculture. It would uh, get research and development extension, uh, deductibility, some things on the on the Democrats like it because it would have a child care, a child care, child care tax credits, not as uh, not as uh, illustrative as they had in the uh, during the pandemic but uh, this has momentum now and i'm not going to rule it out being 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 passed excellent
1: excellent wow okay um well jim the reason i wanted to have you on today especially i don't know anything about the caucuses and i'm from iowa dude i was born there i lived there for like 50 years like half a century i was there i still have no idea we don't need to get into any of that just talk to us about the results what did it What did it yield for us, Jim?
8: Very impressive uh, for Trump. It shows you that he is definitely uh, the uh, he's the head of the Republican Party. He a record margin victory. He won 98 of the 99 Iowa counties (laughs) and only lost Johnson County, I think, by one vote.
1: Wow. Uh,
8: That's a coup
1: in itself in Johnson County. (laughs)
8: Absolutely. But it, it he had a great ground game. So he learned a lot uh, from his prior uh, endeavors in Iowa. So uh, you have to give it to him and his crew. And he was quite conciliatory relative to uh, Trump in his victory speech. He, he uh, uh, thanked uh, his opponents, uh, said they did a good job. So what does it mean? Uh, New Hampshire first primary is next Tuesday, a week from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, New Hampshire is different than Iowa. They have more independents. They're less homogenous. I think they'll have more crossovers. I think some more Democrats may come over to vote uh, for a Republican. But it's going to be Nikki Haley's probably only uh, chance remaining to make this a two-person race. She either has to win it are come very close to Trump, who's currently ahead in the polls, I think by five to six percentage points in New Hampshire. I say that because the follow on after New Hampshire is Nikki Haley's home state at South Carolina, but Trump is ahead uh, in that state. So. Bottom line, it looks like uh, Trump is going to be the Republican candidate. Now, there's some Democratic impacts here, too. No one will admit this publicly, but I think this is going to put pressure on some leaders in the Democratic Party outside of our President uh, Biden to put pressure on him to eventually uh, not run for president because the fear is that if his numbers continue to go lower, not higher, uh, the Republicans could garner a trifecta win, uh, the White House, House, and Senate. Now, wow. uh, that's going to take a few months to gel, but I wouldn't rule it out.
1: Um, from a listener, any thoughts on uh, Trump's VP pick? Uh,
8: I don't think it'll be Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. I think he's a cabinet uh, choice if Trump okay. is the next president. Uh, Christy Nome is what most people are saying in this town the bottom line on oh, vice South presidential Dakota governors yes yeah. uh, she knows agriculture that's what i like i like uh, her, she's yeah. A, yeah she's a Cattle. So I always like a person who knows the livestock industry because they're more balanced, because they know that a corn and a soybean producer, that's their best market. But a a vice presidential candidate usually can only hurt you. They can't help you. One of the rare exceptions in my lifetime was Lyndon Johnson helping, I think, helping uh, Kennedy become president.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, One more from a listener here before we run out of time quickly, Jim. Um, Sure. Entrance of a third party candidate, is that on your radar at all?
8: That's on my radar. I was at the American Associ- Soybean Association meeting last week in Florida, and that was a big topic to me. Uh, right. They wanna know if Joe Manchin's gonna run. He could be a formidable candidate in the so-called no labels party, so I would watch that. That would give truly independence, our naysayers from both political parties a choice to have a protest vote, if you will. I don't think wow. that they would be president, but watch Joe Manchin whether or not he enters in the ring.
1: Isn't that interesting. Um and just really quickly, horribly low on time, um what happens with the Haley DeSantis? Do they make perhaps one single ticket with Haley on top?
8: I just don't see it. I just okay. don't see it. No. Okay.
1: Don't Fair say enough. it. It's
8: New Hampshire. She's gotta win. I think DeSantis is through. I, I really do.
1: Excellent. Jim Wiesmeyer, thank you for your perspective this morning. Have a great week, buddy. We appreciate you. That's pro-farmer policy OG Jim Wiesmeyer here on Agritalk. It's it's been a great show this morning. We've got uh, Michelle Rook taking over the reins this afternoon. Uh, So for uh, Big Apple Joe Stackler, Karen Bonard, Paul Shadeg, Brett Waltz, and Jim Wiesmeyer, it's me, the handsome newsman on Agritalk. Tomorrow morning, Senator Chuck Grassley and Chip Flory host the Farmer Forum. Don't miss it, Agritalk.